All right. Hey, it is good for us to be back, and uh, I don't know how many of you got to be at the park last week when we uh, were enjoying our one service, one day, one church, um, and that was an incredible time over um, at Irvin McDowell uh, Park, and, and it really was just a blessing. I mean, God gave us a day that, that I mean, He just designed it for us. It was, it was so magnificent, and it just amazes me. Um, when I came into church this morning, one of the prayer team members came up and said, hey, I just have a word that I want to share with you. Um, that's a reference um, out of uh, um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We can talk about that another day. Um, but they said, I just want to share this um, word with you. And I shared it in the first service. And believe it or not, while I was sitting there during worship in this service, I, I think the Lord really impressed it upon me. So I'm going to share it before we get started, okay? I just, I just, want, to, I just want to share this word. Um, this prayer team member came up, and they were getting ready to pray for me for the service. And, and this is kind of the word, okay? So this, this is the word, cracked. Cracked. And of course, you know, I mean, you can go a hundred different ways with that, but while I was sitting over there um, worshiping and praying, I just, I saw um, cracks that looked like lightning, okay? I mean, that kind of cracks, and you say, okay, this is really weird for church on Sunday morning, Joe. What are you doing? It's like, just walk with me, okay? You know, I'm a little off the edge here every once in a while, but here's the deal. This is what I feel like the Holy Spirit actually wants me to do. If you're in here this morning right now, there's an area of your life that you feel has this big crack in it, uh, and you're like, God, why won't you touch this crack? Um, I, I want to pray for you before I start this sermon. Can, can we do that? Do you, do, you have, do you trust me enough to do that? Thank you. Hey, let the little children lead them, Okay. You're in here right now, and it might be your finances, it might be your marriage, it might be some other area of your life, and you're just feeling like, man, I just got this big crack going through my soul, I got this big crack going, I just really could use prayer. Can I just pray for you? <laughs> we good? Hey, it's, when you walk into this church, it really is okay not to be perfect. Because the guy standing up on this stage is not perfect. We're just here to pray. We're here to pray. We're here because the Lord is here and we believe it. We believe that God wants to do something in your life. Man, we're going to worship. We're going to sing some beautiful songs. It's going to be great. But we also believe that God wants to do things in our lives because we're broken and we're hurting. And, and, and we've got the enemy that's constantly assailing us and vicious to us and mean and ugly and nasty to us. And let's, let's just be honest. We need prayer. We need God to intervene in our lives. And, and that's why we gather together. We want to be a community of faith. We want to do that. All right. Um, I need the prayer team to come up here with me, if you would come up here with me. Okay. There you go. Thank you very much. If you're on staff and I sign your check and you're not doing something right now, get up here. Because <laughs> I know you know how to pray. <laughs> we're going to pray for people. That's what we're going to do. <clears throat> the Scripture tells us that the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. So when we get gather together and we lift up our hands, the Lord is there. We know that. Okay? The Scripture says that where two or more of you are gathered together, there I am in the midst of you. We know the Lord's here. We know He is. We just need to push all the world that's inside of us down for a second. And we just need to be in the presence of God. 
Because there's no sense in gathering together to believe that God wants to touch our lives if we don't gather together and expect God to touch our lives. And I expect God to touch my life. He can take me home right now if he needs to. But right now, I believe that the Lord wants to do something in your lives. And those of you that were just a little bit nervous about, ah, my first time here, I don't think I'm going to get up and walk up there. That's okay. Just be where you are. Let's just give a God. Some of you are in here right now, and there's this big doubt. You're like, I'm not sure I'm buying into this God thing. It's okay. Take a deep breath. You're okay. You're in a safe spot. You're in a place where God can talk to you and begin to move in your life. It's good. It's good that you're here. Okay? All right. Those of you that are prayer teams, I'm going to find a way to break this up just a little tiny bit so that we can pray. We're, we're going to pray, folks, and I just want to invite you to pray with us. We're just going to pray. Okay? You just, I'm going to pray. I want you to pray at the same time. I want you to pray out loud. Okay, I'm going to pray out loud. You're not interfering with me, and I'm not interfering with you. It's just the way we're going to do it today, okay? We're all going to pray out loud. It's called a chorus of prayer, and that's what we're going to do as we lift up our hearts to God for these people. Fathers, we come before you right now. These people, these children, these sons, these daughters of yours have come forward because there are cracks in their understanding, cracks in their existence, cracks in their wants, cracks in their desires. There's cracks, God. And as they come forward with these cracks, God, we want healing. God, we come before you to touch the hem of your garment. We come before you to be lowered down through the roof, Lord. We come before you to call and cry out because we're blind. We come and we bring our children to you, God, because we, we know that you need to do something. God, we speak against the enemy, against the darkness, against the evil of this world and of hell itself, and we just push it back in the name of Jesus. Right now, we speak against the demonic God. We speak against the evil that the Scripture speaks of, and we just say, get out and be gone. The Scripture says, Lord, Lord, that with a word you cast demons out, you said go. And so in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who is our Lord and our Savior and risen from the dead, we say get out of here and be gone. Get out of their lives and be gone. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in and, and fill these people up to overflowing. Father, we pray that you would breathe your breath upon them. We pray that you would overwhelm them in their presence. God, we pray that you would bring healing to things that have been done specifically to them in their past. God, we pray that you would bring healing to the things that they actually have control over and can do something about. God, I ask and pray that you would give them um, um, the vision to see you leading them forward to come away from situations. Enough is enough. And God, at the same time, I ask and pray that you would give them a heart to stay in something that you're calling them to invest in and do something wonderful with. God, I know that you want us to, um, to continue to move forward and embrace this Parisos life that you have for us. And as children of a Hooperkaneo God, we come before you right now, God, and that God who is an overcomer, we claim that authority in the name of Jesus, God. We continue you to invite you to help them also to become overcomers, God. Overcomers of sin, overcome of a, overcomers of abuse, overcomers of things that have happened in their lives that they had no control of, and God, overcomers of things that they did absolutely wrong and filthy, but you are waiting on the porch to open up your arms and surround them and love on them and care for them. And so God, we bless them with healing, we bless them with anointing specifically, we bless them, God, because your word says that whatever we forgive on this earth will in fact be forgiven in heaven in the name of Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb itself. I proclaim you healed. I proclaim you forgiven. I proclaim you belonging to God himself. I proclaim you wanted, not accepted. I proclaim you desired and not put up with. 
He wants to put his arms around you and call him, uh, call you his own. And now I invite you to let him do that. You will never be good enough. You will just know that he is love enough to grab a hold of you and call you his own. So let that be. So be it in the name of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God Almighty. Amen. 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 My name is Joseph Adrian Wood. I am the grandson of Adrian Joseph Wood. I am the son of Carol Joseph Wood. This is Carol Joseph Wood. This is a picture my dad and I took about three or four years ago, two and a half, three, whatever, can be, it's gone from my brain. Um, but I happened to be down in West Texas, or East Texas, um, and uh, I was doing something with my dogs and realized my dad was fairly close, so I went and had um, breakfast with him. We had a wonderful time, and, and it was good. Um, this man, some of his attitudes I reflect because I reflect that man. Some of my mannerisms, some of my colloquialisms, some of my abilities, definitely my abilities. That man is incredibly gifted. Um, he is a sinner like the rest of us that God wants saved, wants to put his arms around. But he is an incredibly talented man. Um, there is no doubt looking at that picture that I am that man's son. Um, because you look up there and you say, hey, he looks just like him. My siblings will look up there and say, look, you look like you're as old as he is. That's amazing. And so they're off my Christmas list. Um, I will not be buying my, my sibling, my adult siblings Christmas presents this year. But that is my dad. We should have gone to see the same dentist as children. Um, there's no doubt about that. But, uh, and he shaved his beard off so that he would look a little bit younger and I would end up looking a little bit older. Um, not really. But I, I reflect my father. We are going to be in the book of James because that's what we're doing in our small groups. And if you're not in a small group in this church, you're missing out on what it means to be a part of the community of this church. And I would encourage you to get into one. And if you don't know, just stop at the connections desk, the first connections desk, and they will help you see what is open and what we can do to fit where you are. But it's important that we talk about the book of James. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The fact that I reflect my father. As humans, it's really funny when you hear your parents come out of your, your own mouth, isn't it? It's just awful. Um, I can almost remember the first time that that happened to me. I, uh, I was um, married, and I don't know if we had a child or not, so I can't remember it all that well, but at the same time, I can remember stopping myself and going, oh, wow, that was my dad. My dad just came out of my mouth, and I'm living my life in such a way that I don't ever want my dad coming out of my mouth. That was not going to happen. And some of you have been in the grocery store, and you've got your kids, and they're running wild, and all of a sudden you reach over, and then you snatch them up, and you say, you listen to me, and the next thing that comes out of your mouth is the exact same thing that your mom or your granny said to you when she snatched you up up that holler, and, and she grabbed a hold of you, and you were like, oh no, my family just came out of my mouth. And you realize you reflect your family. You do. You will fall back into old ways, old habits, old everythings that actually reflect the manner in which you uh, were raised. As my father's biological son, the oldest one, I was created in his image. I was created in that man's image. I grew, and that image was transformed to include some of the good things about my dad, but I'm sorry to say that it also includes some of the bad things about my dad because he's as human as I am. 
And so as I wrestled growing up, I had to come to terms with that. It's not hard for me to convince anybody that knows who I am and knows my family, um, in fact, that I am my father's son, because they will see it in me, they will see it on me, and they will hear it from me uh, in one time or another. And that is, in fact, the way it should be. But here's the truth as we go into the book of James that I want to share with you today. One of the truths that I want to share with you today is the exact same thing that I just said about my father is the exact same thing that we should say about our relationship to God Almighty. If we've been born again, then you and I should reflect the man, if you will let me say it that way, maybe about Jesus, but you know what I'm saying, the God, the Father, we should reflect the Father who's raising us up. People should see us and they should say, whoa, he is God's child. Whoa, he is Jesus' brother. Whoa, the Holy Spirit is in him. Just like they said about Jesus, well, isn't this one of Mary's kids now? Didn't Mary end up adopting him into the family because God is, is, is uh, Jesus' mama? And so there should be that kind of a thing going on, and that should be normal for you and I. In the book of Acts in chapter 11, the Scripture says when they found the dis um, disciples and, and they brought um, Paul in, it, the Scripture says that he, uh, I believe that they're speaking of, of Barnabas, brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and great numbers of people, excuse me, and taught great numbers of people. But this is the important thing that I want to share with you tonight, tonight uh, this morning. Not tonight, this morning. I'm going to be done tonight. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They were first called Christians in Antioch. And just so you know, Christian was not a good term. It was a slander, it was a mocking, it was derogatory, it was awful. And, 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 and what it meant was, oh, you think you're little Christs. These people went around doing the things that Jesus told them to do. Doing the things that Jesus did. So that when other people who had seen Jesus saw them, they said, oh, they're acting like little Christ, little messiahs. You see, there's some words in there that just, when I say them a little differently, they come across a little derogatory. See? And so people would mock them and say, you think you're better than everybody. You think God loves you more than everybody. You think this. And that wasn't the case at all. The fact of the matter was these people had been transformed, and that's the word that I want to talk to you about today, and, and there it was. But it's funny how Christian people, we, we try to find ways when, when we see something in the Scripture and we say, oh, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. People call us Christians. Oh, you think you're a little Christ. It's like, well, I'm going to try to follow Jesus, and I'm going to try to emulate Jesus, right? You want me to show you another way that we do it? I, I don't doubt, I didn't see, didn't check, didn't look, but I don't doubt that there's at least one person in here wearing a little gold chain with a little cross on it, right? Do you know that that cross is just capital punishment? That's what it is. You say, no, Pastor Joe, this is not capital punishment. This is Jesus. Do, do you know that a more appropriate thing to wear around your neck would be an empty tomb? <laughs> I mean, come on. The cross says he died. The promise and the hope of Christianity is that the tomb was empty and he was raised from the dead. And there's power in the Spirit of God to move inside of our lives. But, but, but see, we wear this capital punishment around our neck and we're like, I love Jesus. You love dead Jesus? Because I love live Jesus. No, I'm just saying, it's okay for you to wear the necklace. Some of you are like, oh, I can never wear this again. You know, <laughs> going to have to put it out there with the Harry Potter movies, right? You know, it's got to go out there. No, 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 no. But, but just, for, just for reckoning, let me just share with you. It would be equally as appropriate for you to say, let's wear little gold guillotines. 
And some of you are going, no. Sure, because a lot of Christian people were murdered with a guillotine. They were. Just like Jesus was murdered on a cross, okay, according to the world standard, according to his standard, he gave his life up. But we could wear little guillotines around and say, well, the day's going to come. The Antichrist is going to rise up, and I'm going to the front line, going to get my head cut off. It's going to be great. I'm going to be martyred for Jesus. We're all going to heaven. It's going to be a big celebration. You're not going to want to miss this feast. Really? It's a necklace. But we could equally do that. And the fact of the matter is, this is what the Christian people did with the term Christian. Back in the day when at Antioch they began to say, oh, look at those little Christs, those little Christians, those little Messiahs, those little whatever. And they said, yes, we will own it. But here's the deal. You can't just own it with your mouth. Or nobody will see and believe that you really are a follower of Jesus, and that's where we are. We're in the book of James. The book of James is largely and widely understood to be written not by James, the brother of John, not by the sons of thunder. The book of James is understood to be written by Jesus' brother, James, who led the church in Acts 15, who thought Jesus was out of his ever-loving mind when he was in the house and people were crowding around him and they came to get him because they thought he was out of his mind. I mean, if your brother believes that you are the Christ, that's some legit right there, okay? If you can convince one of your siblings that you are the Messiah, now I'm probably going to come follow you because if your sibling, my, my siblings would never be convinced, never. If I came and said, I am the Messiah, they would say, sit down and shut up. You're an idiot. That's the siblings that God gave me. It's what I've got to deal with. Pray for them. But at the end of the day, we understand this book to be written by Jesus' brother. We see that it was written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, if you start in verse 1. So there's no doubt that his identity, excuse me, his audience is definitely the Christians among the Jews because in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious um, Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. So on the one hand, he says to the 12 tribes scattered, which makes them Jewish, but then he reins it in and he says, I'm talking to the Christian people among the Jews. Those of you that recognize the Messiah has come and is here. And then he goes on and he goes um, through this um, outline. I'm just going to share an outline with you fairly quickly um, because it's kind of the common outline for the book of James. And here's the deal. I believe that James is, is, is uh, writing to us to talk to you and I about how to do church, largely about how to do church. But this is what it says. He talks to us about persecutions, difficulties in relationships with non-believers and pagans. Paul, James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials and temptations. And that doesn't mean you stub your toe or got a flat tire as much as back then it meant people were harassing you and and coming after you when you're going through a difficult time because you are a christian and listen to me ladies and gentlemen i don't get this way and i'm not trying to be political i'm just telling you you live in a world of people who are losing their mind i can't say it any more clear than that i heard a math teacher say one in one doesn't equal two anymore. I saw somebody in, in, a, in a testimony on the hill literally say that because our society is fluid, so we might want to suggest that the new number is it equals three. If you take a peanut and put it on the table and you put another peanut next to it on the table, there will be two peanuts on the table. One in one still equals two. 
We live in a world where people will persecute you for saying that. We live in a world where people will persecute you for saying there's two genders. Say, "Uh uh-oh, where's he going? Listen, if you want to start farming, go get a couple of bulls and tell me how many calves you have. You're not going to have any because there are male and female. And if we go with what's going on in our world today, then we have to say that this this gender, this misgender, this whatever gender only applies to human beings. Well, that's not true. That can't be. It's like, holy cow. But we recognize that as people stood up in Jesus' day and said there is one God, they were persecuted, they were murdered, they lost. Paul was the one doing it back in the day. He was hauling people out of the synagogue, out of the, um, the Jewish religion, and taking their homes, separating them from their spouses, putting them in prison, having them murdered, and then confiscating their properties on behalf of the church. That's what they were doing. And I'm not saying that we're going to be too far from that now. Now, I'm guessing there might be a person or two in here going, oh, come on, Pastor Joe, is it really that bad? I don't know, 35 years ago, your grandparents would have thought you were a moron if you said, hey, I got an idea. Let's take free water, filter it, put it in a bottle, and sell it back to the people we took it from because it's free water. Think about that for a second. You go in a store and you pay $2 for a bottle of water. It was yours to begin with. The water belongs to the nation. It belongs to the people. It belongs to... And we've got the nation selling it to people so they can sell it back to the poor people. Come on. People would have thought you were crazy for saying that so many years ago. And it's, it's an industry now. It's an industry. Take the water from the county run it through a filtration system, bottle it, sell it back to the people, and take their money for something that was theirs to begin with. Think through that. It's the world that they lived in, and we live in it now. The second thing that this writings of James is all about is abuse by the ungodly rich who were also persecuting those people. And we know that because he says, now listen, you rich people, in chapter 5. Listen, you rich people, and he basically says, you better be a lot more careful than you're being right now because you're going to probably die. Now, what does that say about the upper 2% that we are always hearing about that appear to be trying to run things? I'm just saying appearing. And again, listen, I'm not, being, I'm not being political. I'm really not. I'm just telling you to look at what was going on 2,000 years ago. Look at what's going on now. It's not a political situation. It is a human condition. And that's what's going on. The third thing that he, he begins to talk to uh, us about, which I think is very important to the Christian church in America especially, is apathy towards spiritual lives and practices in our, in our everyday. We're getting to the place where church is just about going to church. It's like, it's okay. I mean, let me just do this real quick, and I'm not trying to beat you up, but when was the last time you invited somebody to church? All right. You say, well, yesterday. Okay, so you're doing great. Okay. How about this? When was the last time you shared your testimony with somebody about what Jesus is doing in your life right now? How many of you could go to work tomorrow and say, hey, I just want to talk to somebody about Jesus for a second. I want to tell them, hey, this is what I heard the Lord doing in the service yesterday in church. It was a great thing. Without getting on a soapbox, and, and you're like, ah, I can't do that. I might lose my job. And yet people were losing their lives 2,000 years ago for the exact same thing. See what's going? Our apathy is starting to climb towards spiritual things. James, in, in James chapter 1, James chapter 2, on the one hand, he says, listen, 
You guys have forgotten what Christ called you to because when you see a brother or a sister in need, you say, go, do well, I'm going to pray for you, it's going to be all right, but you won't make a sacrifice. And again, I'm not saying you. I'm talking James is saying this to the churches um, of 2,000 years ago, and he's saying, we don't have time to get involved in your life. We can't work the food pantry. We can't do this stuff. And that's what they were saying back then. They're like, hey, God bless you, and may it be well with you, but I'm not going to help you. And then we have excuses, right? Well, Pastor Joe, they're going to use that money to buy drugs. They're going to buy alcohol. They're going to buy... The Lord said, help them, period. I, I, we can't get around it. I can't... Listen, I would love to get around it. I, I'm a busy guy. I'm a busy, 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 busy guy. Just ask me, okay? I'll tell you how busy I am because I'm full of myself. I am. We're all full of ourselves. We're not that busy. We just need to turn the TV off. And so we have this. So James is writing to challenge not the theology of some sort, but rather the manner in which we do church, local practices involved in being in relationship with one another. Let me just make it simple. So it wasn't written to one church, but it was written as a book, the book of James, to be shared around. So let me just share with you this scripture from the book of James, chapter 2. I know it's taken me a while to get there. Um, but let me share this scripture with you from the uh, book of James, chapter 2. Incredibly important, because this is where we are in our Bible studies on whatever night we have a Bible study. Um, I'm going to start at verse 14. I think this is probably the most theological argument in the whole book, right here. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Listen to me. Faith is an action word. Faith means that you are physically doing something that people will testify that you are a Christian because you are doing it. See, here's the deal. We've got this idea that believe, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, so if you academically believe that Jesus is the Christ, that that's what that means. That's not what it means. To believe means that you get out of your chair and you do the things that Jesus did. You love people, you care for people, you provide for people, you help people, you move along with people, you walk with people, you cry with people, you pray for people. It means you actually do something. You know how I know? Because the scripture right there says the demons believe that Jesus is the Christ and they're not going to heaven. So it's not an academic acknowledgement it's a lifestyle that we could be convicted of being Christian people if we lived it. And that's what we're challenged to do. It's what James is telling us to do right here. And he goes on to say in verse 20, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is actually useless? useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith, his belief that God called him to do it, so he acted on it. His faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, not academically, but actually in action, Abraham believed God. Abraham acted on behalf of God. 
Abraham did what God said is the way to say that. Uh, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Now, just to shake up some other folks in here, just a little tiny bit, okay, because it's worth wrestling with regardless of where you are in theological and philosophical um, debates. But there's a, there's a phrase here that I, I've clung to, highlighted, and made notes on. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Whoa, hold on a second. There's something I'm going to have to wrestle with just a little bit. And let me just share it. Let me just make it overly simple for you, okay? Because it's not worth wrestling with. It's not worth getting excited about. All James is saying is you cannot separate what you say from what you do. You can't do it. Either you're going to call yourself a Christian and you're going to do what Jesus did, or you're not going to call yourself a Christian, but you're going to do good things. And that's the wrestling that's going on in this particular passage as we look at this. Okay, Jesus tells us that, um, that the works of our lives should be evidence to the world that you and I are following him. Look at what he says in the book of Luke. He says that no tree bears, uh, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Okay? So if we're walking with Jesus, then Paul would say, stop with the witchcraft, stop with the idolatry, and he always throws this one in, I don't need to hound on it, and stop murdering people. Okay? I, once again, I'm reading in the book of James, and he's like, and we should stop murdering people. Yes! Yes, we should stop murdering people. If we're going to say we are followers of Jesus, the pastor should not have to stand up here and say, look, some of you got to stop killing people. Okay? Now, you would initially say, okay, they're wearing somebody out. No, they were killing people. Evidently, it was, a, it was an epidemic. I'm not sure, but that being said, let's just move on or I'll get lost there. Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to happen. But only the one who does the will in my Father who is in heaven. And so if I'm going to do the will of my Father who is in heaven, then the first thing that has to happen is I've got to get on my knees and be quiet before my Father in heaven and ask him, what does he want me to do? I know some of the things that he is inviting us to do, but Jesus got up every morning, as was his habit, went out in the darkness to the, to the hill on Gethsemane and began to pray to the Mount of Olives and began to pray because that was his habit. And he got and spent time with God saying, hey, how's our day going to be? What are we I mean, he prayed to God. And Jesus, it was himself that said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. See? So it's our, our responsibility, it's our calling, it's our relationship to God to say, hey, this is my Father. What do I see my Father doing at work? What do I see my Father doing in that other guy's life? What do I see my Father doing in my children's life? What do I see my Father doing in my life that I can be a part of and say, hey, I want to join you, God. And when God says, great, I want you to, whatever the two is, you make the sacrifice. Time, money, things, it shouldn't matter. When I see my Father in heaven doing something, I should get really wound up and, and giddy excited, you know. I, could, I should get weird. You know, people should be like, oh, there's Pastor Joe doing it again. Yeah. Because I want to see what God's doing, and I want to share, and I want to be there. And I want to be a part of what I see my Father in heaven doing. You and I cannot separate what we do, what we say from what we do. They have to agree. 
And so when people see that what we do is, not that you're perfect, please do not hear me saying that you're perfect. But listen, we got to start trying. Perfection being whole, not without fault. we got to start trying. Our language, our entertainment choices, our, our gossiping, our money spending, whatever it might be, we've got to be willing to start trying so that people will say, why are you trying? And we'll say, Jesus. And they'll say, let me help you. Let me help you. And so I want to be a part of that. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The, 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 uh, new, the, excuse me, the old is gone, the new is here. And what that means is a new attitude. What that means is new friends. What that means is new actions. What that means is new compassion. What that means is new responses. What that means is a new direction. What that means is a new focus in your life. You know what the number one problem with addicts coming out of rehab is? Triggers. Going back to the same thing, but being expected to toe the line and be different. See? But when our friends are, according to the Scripture and Paul and John and Peter and those guys, when, when our friends are telling us, let's go murder somebody, and we're like, yeah, let's do that. We ain't got anything to do on Friday. Let's go whack the neighbor. And we're like, yeah, let's do that. The Scripture tells us if all things become new, then go find new friends. But we've got this idea that, no, we be loyal to our friends. Your friends are dragging you into hell, and you just got saved. You've got to go back to them as a missionary and not as a partner. See? But we won't want to do that. Same thing is true with other areas of our lives. Man, if I'm going to go back to playing video games at 11 o'clock at night and drinking a 12-pack every single night, I'm going back to the very alcoholism that God saved me out of. See? We've got to go back to doing things differently because we've been born again. We've been born new. We should begin to reflect our Father who is in heaven. So the question becomes, and it's, this is what spurred this, was I got a I got an a, a email question from somebody I've never met. don't think he goes to our church at all. Um, I think it was an online sort of a thing. But he just said, um, I got saved. I'm chasing after God, but I can't let go of my sin. I don't want to let go of my sin. I struggle against my sin, and, um, and I fail, but I try to get back up, and am I still saved? And I said, come on in and make an appointment. I don't know where he's from. I said, come on in and make an appointment. Let's sit down and talk. I love this question. Never heard from him again. <laughs> I love the question. I'm not going to beat anybody up. I love the question. It's a good question. It's good to wrestle with. I'm, I'm the pastor of this church. I'm just telling you, if your feet are pointed toward that cross and you are trying to become more like Jesus and you are struggling in your humanity, yay, you're part of the kingdom of God. Let's do this thing together. Let's walk together. Let's spur each other. But if you're like, hey, I'm going to keep cussing, swearing, drinking, smoking, shooting up, snorting up, sleeping around, but I love Jesus, stop fooling yourself. Look at let me, just, let me just get to that, okay? As we recognize the Scripture that tells us that in our relationship to Jesus, we submit to His teachings. That means His teachings on church attendance, His teachings on tithing, His teachings on belongings, teaching on reading, praying, fasting, loving. We've been called to do that in such a degree that we become people that can rightly use the Scripture, okay? And in Ephesians chapter 5, the Scripture says, you and I are to submit to one another. And we don't like that word in our society. We don't like it. 
Specifically, Paul is talking to husbands and wives, but I love that he starts with submit to one another because we live in a world, especially in the church, where men say, well, it's my responsibility, it's my position, I'm the, I'm the boss, we have to do what I say because I'm the spiritual leader and the provider, and I'm, I'm everything, so just look at me and make me important, and I'm this, and that's not what happened. Jesus said, as a husband, you are called to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Let me ask you how Christ loved the church. Listen, don't take my word for it. Read it from your own Bible. What is the first thing that Jesus did in order to love the church that he was about to create. Let me tell you, he got off the throne. He literally got off the throne and came to earth, took this form on, wrapped a towel around him, washed his disciples' feet. The lowest job, the only lower job was emptying the chamber pot. And he served people. And that should be the picture of how fathers serve their families. And I would encourage you into it. In our relationship to this world, we submit to Jesus' teachings, serving our community, inviting our community, loving those who come, caring for those in need, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and visiting the fatherless and the widow. See, people will accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but then there's a struggle because they won't come away from the triggers that God tells them to come away from. Submit to God's teaching and come away from. Submit to my need to serve my family and watch my family blossom. Submit to my boss at work until I find another job and watch my job begin to blossom. Submit to the teaching that I'm supposed to make disciples at my work and watch what begins to happen. Submit to the teachings of the Lord. I came across a scripture not terribly long ago that I wrestled with, about three years now. And it's this one right here in 1 Corinthians. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anybody who claims to be a Christian, a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. And it's like, wow, then who are we going to eat with? You know? Wow. Listen to me. He's talking about people that think it's okay to continue in this sin when the Scripture tells us not to do this. And they're saying, no, I'm still a Christian, so Christian people can still do these things. And, and Paul's saying, no, you can't do that. We've got to come away from the world. We've got to do things the other way. I've been wrestling with this passage for now, and I think I can, I can sum it up like this. Me has to die so that I can be born again. Can you do that? It's the transformation that Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 12. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to have a renewed mind. The one that you've been using up to the point that you actually surrender to Jesus is a worldly mind that does things its own way because it's protecting itself and taking care of itself. You've got to, we've got to be willing to submit our minds, my mind, to Jesus. Then I'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, good, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. John the Baptist made a statement that I believe can completely sum up the book of James, and James wouldn't have had to write his book, and we wouldn't have to study it and things like that if we would just take this passage, and all we did was read this, this one passage. John the Baptist spoke this one passage, and if we would grab a hold of this one passage, we would watch our marriages get better. We would watch our children get healthier. We would watch our communities become healthier. We would watch people's lives become richer, not just materially we would watch people get healthier. It's this passage. John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. 
you will only ever receive what is given you from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I, John, said I'm not the Messiah, but I was sent ahead of him. The bride, the church, belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete because Jesus showed up and John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he saw the dove descend on him. So he knew. But see, we live in a world where we want to be somebody. We need to be super important. We need to get ahead. We need to be first. We need to be at the top of the list. And that wasn't important to Jesus. It wasn't important to John. Because look what he said after this. He, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. He must become greater, but I must become less. I am the servant of the Lord God. I need to be willing to submit to serving people around me. Submit my time, submit my energy, submit my fear, submit worrying about what people will think of me, I need to submit this to the kingdom of heaven so that I can enter into the work of the kingdom of heaven. I have to become less. I believe with all of my heart that that's the whole teachings of James. If all we did was meditate on the idea, because this is what it's going to end up being, <laughs> the idea that we're supposed to be transformed so that what we say is what we do so that our faith turns into works. Now listen to me. Jesus preached and people got offended. They actually came to his disciples and said, you need to go tell the master, the teacher, that he's offending us. <laughs> Jesus preached and people took him up on a hill and wanted to throw him off the hill because he didn't have something super nice to say to them and that's what they wanted. But I'm not saying that we have permission to throw rocks. But I am saying it's time for us to start standing up for what's right, standing up for the truth, for pushing back a little bit, and letting our actions that say we love people be the deeds when we feed people. And now you can just extrapolate that out. What is the Lord speaking to you that it's time for you to do? For some of you, it's as simple as it's time for you to surrender your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to know that you were born as a sinner. You did not become a sinner. You were born as a sinner. You had the seeds inside of you like an apple does. And then when you began to grow up, those seeds began to bear fruit. And Jesus came to pay the price for that, that sin, to, to take it away because that sin separated you from God. So you were born separated from God. But thanks be to Jesus Christ who was willing to die on the cross, capital punishment, so that God could raise him from the dead, miraculous new life, so that you and I could be transformed. And we need to start getting a hold of the idea that we've been called to be transformed. Are we living transformed lives? Because I believe that God wants to bring physical healing into your life. I believe that God wants to bring emotional healing into your life. I believe that God wants to do things in your life Otherwise, why go to church? 
Why believe that there's a God that loves me if I don't let God love me? And that's what we're here for. So I want to invite you up to your feet. And I know we kind of did this already. But if you're in here and you need to surrender your life to Jesus, then I want to invite you to come on up here. And you can be right here. And I will have somebody come on over here. And they will pray with you. But if you're in here right now and you're saying, you know what, the Lord is clearly speaking to me and I just want prayer and I'm not even sure what I want prayer for, I just want to invite you to come on up here, okay? Just move out of where you are. You feel comfortable. You know, just come on up here and we're going to have people pray for you if that's okay. I'm going to end the service in a prayer. Um, yeah, we're a couple of minutes over, but that thing where the Holy Spirit wanted to do something, you can blame God, not me, okay? Because I keep my mouth shut. We're out of here already, um, but I didn't, so we're there. Can I pray for you this morning? Can we pray for you this morning for whatever's going on inside of your life right now? Okay? Anybody else? We're not going to ask you to talk. We just want you to have the opportunity. Why go to church if you don't think God will meet you there? I believe that God meets us here. And I pray that every time you walk in these doors, that you open up your heart and say, okay, Lord, let me have it. What's it going to be? All right, could I have a prayer member come up here and pray? Can I get somebody? I'm going to pray right here, but I want you to pray as well. You guys are almost from the same holler. <laughs> I love it. Okay, there you go. You come right on up here. Okay, now I'm going to need some more people. I'm going to need another prayer person. There you go. Now I'm going to pray for them, but you're going to pray for each of these groups. Father, as we come before you, we want to thank you for today. We know, thank you for your word that where James just gets right in our face and challenges us. But at the same time, God, we know that if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. We know that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some unrighteousness, Lord, Lord, but all unrighteousness, and I thank you for that. So let this be a day, God, where we speak against the kingdom of darkness and we say, get out. Because the scripture says with a word, Jesus cast demons out and it was go. So we say go in the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. And we say, Holy Spirit, come and fill these people up. Overwhelm them, push them, encourage them, inspire them. And I pray wherever the hurt is, wherever the thing is that drove them up here to, to say we want our touch, that God, you would fill that up and do something glorious that can only be attributed to you and that would, it would be beyond what we would anticipate or expect so that you might get the glory. So we just speak this upon them in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we speak forgiveness of sin. We speak a new attitude, the same one that Jesus had. We speak the desire to love and serve. And I pray that you would open up our mouths and make us all witnesses. And we thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.